sometimes people use the term inheritance impatience and there's sort of an, an entitlement by the family member or a person to think, well, it's going to be mine anyway. Yeah, mum wouldn't mind. I'm just going to take that $200,000 and put a deposit on the house. Putting aside the impact on the person's legacy and how that might interfere with what their plans are in their will, you know, puts them at risk because often uh, it, it can reduce their, their pension entitlements. It can really reduce their ability to pay for day-to-day expenses that they need at, at the most, you know, arguably the most important time of their life. Silver Adventures is a content and technology company dedicated to improving the lives of older adults through immersive virtual reality experiences. And this podcast is our opportunity to hear from industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals to share with you their knowledge, expertise, and experiences. Welcome to the Age Care Enrichment Podcast. Hello, welcome to the show. My name's Ash Deneef. Well, tomorrow is World Elder Abuse Awareness Day, and we're dedicating this week to understanding more about financial elder abuse and how we can prevent it. We're joined by Luke Wright from the Victorian State Trustees to understand a bit more about the prevalence, causes, and many faces of financial elder abuse and some warning signs to look out for. As Luke says in the interview, financial abuse is almost the canary in the coal mine of elder abuse, as its presence is a pretty good indicator that other things are happening as well. Whatever you're doing in your work this week, we encourage you to have a think about the older adults around you that might be vulnerable to abuse and what you can do to prevent it. You can visit elderabuseawarenessday.org.au for more information. So with that, I hope this interview with Luke Wright gives you some food for thought. Enjoy. Well, for people who don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about elder abuse, specifically elder financial abuse. And maybe Luke you can kick us off by giving us some of your background and who you are. Sure. So I've worked at State Trustees for 15 years. And uh, in that time, I've worked mostly in the area of, of helping people with their finances who, who may have experienced financial elder abuse. I've got sort of a background and side interest in, in psychology and, and counselling and have had some postgraduate studies in recent years there, um, and also conflict resolution and mediation. But I suppose you'd say that I've got a real passion for building awareness of, of elder abuse, responding to it, and ultimately trying to prevent financial elder abuse. Amazing. So and there's a lot to dig into here, <laughs> and it's hard to pick the right sort of the right sort of direction, but maybe broadly, what is financial elder abuse? What constitutes elder abuse in that Well, it, it's a good question. I think it's best to probably start with the World Health Organization's definition of, of elder abuse, which is uh, a single or repeated act or lack of appropriate action occurring within any relationship where there is an expectation of trust and which causes harm or distress to an older person. You know, that can be physical abuse, sexual abuse, psychological, emotional and financial. And of course, you know, financial, it manifests in many ways. It could be as simple as someone, you know, pressuring their grandmother for $50 for a pack of cigarettes, or it could result in millions of dollars transferred out of an older person's name for the benefit of the perpetrator. Yeah, well, so a broad kind of spectrum there. And, and I kind of noticed that you said it's the 
the inaction as well. So any sort of negligence or failure to do something they require can be abuse. That's right. I suppose that that mostly encompasses neglect uh, as a form of, of elder abuse, but certainly if you're in a position of authority and you're acting as someone's attorney and you, you didn't fulfil your duties, then that, that could be seen as a form of financial elder abuse by, by an omission or an act, allowing an act to happen. Yeah, right. So is, is this a common occurrence? Very good question. Just in December of 2021, the Australian government commissioned a national prevalence study of elder abuse and prior to that, we didn't really have a lot of good evidence. And what that prevalence study revealed was that in any given year, uh, 15% of people over 65 years old would experience elder abuse. And within that, financial elder abuse was 2% of people. So 2% of older people would experience financial elder abuse in a given year. I think it's important mm. to say that that study focused on people over 65 living in the community without any physical or health impairments. So it, it sort of excludes people who have advanced or, you know, forms of dementia. And so I think there's need for a further study. But in answer to your question, you know, 2% of the population. So in any given year, 85,000 Australians um, could experience financial elder abuse and that's just for people who are able to participate in this study. Yikes. Okay, that is a lot larger than, than the average person would probably think and possibly even larger still if we're not accounting for people who are in residential care or, or aren't in the survey. Uh, exactly, Ash. I mean, you know, that's at state trustees. They're, they're the people we see the most of because our involvement often comes about because an application has been made to the courts because a person has impaired decision-making capacity and either a family member or a social worker or a nursing home worker, home care provider has noticed that there's been abuse and financial abuse is, is often easier to see. It, it might be harder to see psychological abuse or emotional abuse, but financial abuse, I suppose we'll get into this, <laughs> uh, in, in the form of, you know, there are lots of ways you can pick up. In a way, I sort of describe financial elder abuse as, as the canary in the coal mine because if there's financial abuse, there's often other forms of abuse happening. What are some immediate red flags for behaviour? Yeah, sure. So I think it's important. We, we can refer to the, the, the prevalence uh, study that I talked about earlier. So the prevalence study indicated the most common forms of financial elder abuse were when the older person was pressured into giving or loaning money to the person or giving away their possessions. So that was the most common reported sign of financial elder abuse. The second one after that was when ta you know, a person is taking money from them without permission, essentially theft. Mm. Third most common was not contributing to household expenses as agreed. So a son or a daughter they're the most common perpetrators of financial abuse. You know, might have made an agreement. They might have split up from their marriage, returned home and said, listen, mum, I'm going to look after you. And this is, you know, this is how I'm going to pay my way. And they might not. So them not doing that. I mean, are there signs? If, if you're giving home care to a person or the person's in aged care, it's just unpaid bills are the, are the most common sign. 
mm. changes in their spending habits. But that's harder to see if, if you're on the outside. Right, okay. So it sounds like a common theme is, is that it's often perpetrated by the loved ones of the victim. Yes. The prevalence study basically found, I think, 33% of cases of financial elder abuse was perpetrated by a son or daughter, with sons more often being the perpetrator than daughters. But, I mean, our evidence and, 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 and the cases that we see, bearing in mind that we're often appointed when the person is no longer living in the community, might be in aged care, doesn't have decision-making capacity, is that in, in 60 to 70% of cases, it's, it's a family member, a close family member, usually a son or daughter. Hmm. But the prevalence study was slightly different, as I, as I said. I think it's really interesting and it, and it, and it, and it requires some further investigations. Mm. Well, I mean, an interesting kind of question here, which we may not be able to answer in this particular interview, but like, why is this occurring? What is it that, because presumably there's something in the mind of the perpetrator that separates this from theft or from abuse that must feel different. Do you have any sort of insight into what might be different for that person? Yeah, great, great question. I think if we look at older people living in the community and living with a family member, there's lots of family dynamics that might be historical about the nature of the relationship. And there may be a history of family violence. There may be a history of, you know, coercion or, or influence. And, and so as the older person uh, becomes more reliant and, and more isolated and, and exposed to the perpetrator, they often put up with a lot of things that we, were they more able and were they more active and connected, they might not put up with. So it's a, they, they often know that the alternative to not going along with the abuse is it might be going into aged care and might be losing some of their independence. So often they put up with it. But I, I know I didn't really answer your question there. I suppose the drivers we talk about are ageism, sort of prejudicial views about um, the agency and of a person as they get older. I heard some of your earlier podcasts on the impact of ageism and agree that as a society we often have a view um, that diminishes the agency and importance of older people. And that's, that's a, major, a major driver for me. The other side is, and we often see this in cases where the older person might not be aware of the financial abuse, but it's really financial abuse that's impacting on their legacy, their legacy as a person, their life's work. And, and, and so in those cases, you know, sometimes people use the term inheritance impatience, and there's sort of an, an, ent an, en an entitlement by the family member or a person to think, well, it's going to be mine anyway. Yeah, mum wouldn't mind. I'm just going to take that $200,000 and put a deposit on the house. And what putting aside the impact on the person's legacy and how that might interfere with what their plans are in their will, you know, puts them at risk because often uh, it, it can reduce their, their pension entitlements. It can really reduce their ability to pay for day-to-day -day expenses that they need at, at the most, you know, arguably the most important time of their life. Mm -hmm. The time that they've worked their whole life to get up to, to prepared for. And then, yeah, that feels like a very uh, dicey way of explaining theft in that sense. <laughs> I think humans and we have a number of drivers and I think greed and access to, to, to money and, uh, and power play a, a big psychological role. Yeah, people can sometimes be greedy. Now, I don't want to paint every uh, family member and son. The vast majority of, of 
children and attor- financial attorneys or administrators do the right thing. Hmm. They respect the agency of the older person. They respect their rights and they promote their rights and protect them. And that's the role that we do. And that's the role expected of a, a person is a position of power like that. Yeah, good to reset the default there. Let's not, not paint the picture that everybody's well, out there for that. Well, I think, you know, working in this industry and because and we see so much of it, yeah, sometimes I have to remind myself that most people do the right thing. But the consequences of when 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 financial elder abuse happens is, is devastating on the older person, uh, either their legacy or if they're aware that this has happened, you know, it's a lifetime of work. It's very hard to recreate wealth um, when you're in the latter years of your life. So it can be a total um, destruction of, of, of their identity and their legacy in terms of their financial assets. Yeah, uh, identity and legacy would be very linked, I, I imagine, at that point in life. I'm not there myself, but I can see that, you know, if you've had the family and you've worked really hard to provide for them and your grandkids to have that taken away, you start to wonder, what am I doing here? What was it all for? That's correct, yeah. And so, I mean, uh, at some stage maybe in our time we can talk about how we might be able to fix that, but I think the important mm. and respond to, to cases of financial elder abuse, but hopefully we can also talk about, you know, prevention too. Yeah, yeah, those are two great topics. We're definitely going to get to them. I want to ask a question about this relationship though because if it's a family, if it's 33% of the time a child of the victim you guys are going into some very tricky family dynamics there and there is the risk that you know that through the mediation the older person becomes more isolated how do you navigate that another great question very sensitively as i said the older people that we work with and work for 99% of them want to preserve a relationship with their children they don't want matters referred to police hmm. they want the matter to stop, they want the financial abuse to stop, and they want it fixed. So we have to be very, very sensitive about that and respect. I think this goes in, in any role and, and when we're talking about older people, it's really respecting their agency and what's important to them, how they want to resolve it. You know, I, I've had some older people say, I don't want any legal action, I don't want him referring to police, I just want him to stop. And if you can get the money back from him, that would be great. I've had other extremes, and these are rarer, where people are like, no, he's done the wrong thing. He's misused his powers. I want you to refer him to the police. And, mm-hmm. and we do that. But it's very rare. Hey, did you know we launched a new show this season? Hello, I'm here with Daniela Greenwood. And I'm here with Maury Voicey Balan. That's right, Daniela and Maury are back, and they're joining us every Friday for their new show, Who Cares? where they'll be taking a quizzical look at some of aged care's challenges and exploring what they mean for all of us working in the industry. I'm really stumped by how what the resolution is here because I think there's a lot to dig into. You would have been better working at McDonald's, Murray, because I they've got a good set. I could have been somebody, Daniela. <laughs> I could have been somebody. You are a somebody, Murray. You, and the more I learn about you, you're an amazing oh, somebody. Oh, thank you. I think the same. It's a double dose of podcast fun each week and you can find it right here in the Ace Feed every Friday. You're going to be the new Minister of Ageing if it's the last thing I do. The prevalence study identified what we already knew, and that is that it's most likely that a perpetrator of financial 
elder abuse or elder abuse in general might have mental health issues, they might have financial issues, they might be from a, a broken marriage and returned home, there might be a history of previous family violence. All of those factors will increase the risk of the older person being a victim of abuse and financial abuse. And so I think that's really important when we talk about what can we do to equip people in the aged care industry to be able to spot this, to spot signs of, of elder abuse. Mm. I think then the next question comes, well, what happens if I spot it? What do I do? Who do I refer it to? First thing I would say is always sensitively talk about it in private with the older person. Make sure they know their rights and the options available to them. The reality is that when we're talking about family, a son or daughter living with an older person and putting pressure on them financially, and, and there'll always be financial elder abuse doesn't happen alone. There's other forms of abuse usually. These qualify as forms of family violence. So, you know, the police can become involved. And it sounds extreme, but it's not, it, the police won't treat it as a criminal matter. They'll treat it, an intervention order can be put in place to say, well, no, your behaviour is not acceptable. This is a form of economic abuse. That's what the Family Violence Protection Act talks about. And, you know, you, you can't put pressure on, on your mother or father financially. Hmm. Yeah, it's great. And I, I find that really interesting when you mention, you know, the, the idea of financial elder abuse. I have immediately, and for better or worse, I have an idea in my mind of the sorts of individuals and the situations they might be in where they are led to then put pressure on their loved one and things like mental illness, financial hardship, I imagine drug use and, and yeah. these sorts of elements are things to look out for. If you're caring for someone professionally and you see that, you know, the, the family members around them are perhaps dealing with some of these issues, it might be time to have a closer look yeah. and make sure everything's all right. Yeah. One of the outcomes of the Royal Commission into Family Violence was one, a recognition that elder abuse is a form of family violence. And the, the key recommendations, as far as I'm concerned, being very focused on financial elder abuse, was um, a pilot that has started and being run by the um, Victoria Police. And, and it's to build capability to respond to financial abuse. So Victoria Police have five trial sites throughout Victoria where they're trialling this pilot, where they have specialised detectives who are able to respond to financial elder abuse cases I'm on the trial advisory group for that, really promising signs. I think the important lesson that's coming out of that is that it's about connecting services and an overall response to support and protect the older person. And it, it's not always resulting in, you know, charges being laid and the, the perpetrator being locked up. It's more supportive of, of stopping the abuse and supporting the older person so their rights are respected. Mm. You know, one of my, uh, my favourite quotes, so it's the opening line from uh, Leo Tolstoy's book, Anna Karenina, mm. and it says, all happy families are alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. And what that opening says to me is that, you know, families are complex a fully functioning and, and, and happy family makes a lot for it to be fully functioning and happy, whereas it only needs one or two things to, 
be dysfunctional in a family for it to be unhappy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you, you can have people in relations in, in, in family who, you know, four out of five things might be going well, but you might have a son or a daughter who thinks that they're entitled to access to, to more money than their brother or sister. Or they might think that they have access to it, they should have access to it now. And they may coerce or influence the older person to, you know, to agree to them accessing it. There are so many intricacies of financial abuse and financial elder abuse that we see. And every story is different and every unhappy family is unhappy in their own way. (laughs) Yeah. Let's say now that you have a situation, abuse has occurred, a child has, you know, had inheritance in patience, as you said, what can be done to get the money back to change the situation? Well, in, in Victoria, there have been some really good changes to some legislation that allow us to pursue matters in court at a very cost-effective way. So maybe 10 years ago, if we had seen that there'd been a misappropriation or a theft of money, we would have to go to the Supreme Court. It wasn't as accessible. But you can make a compensation claim if someone's used their powers as an attorney or as a financial administrator, you can make a compensation claim to VCAT for the money to be repaid. And that's a very common occurrence for us. It's a civil remedy. It's not referring to the police, although the older person has an option of the matter being referred to the police if that's what they want. So, you know, that's that's one way often. And we see this sometimes in cases of gambling where children have stolen money and gambled it. Sometimes there's no money to recover. Hmm. Is that more common than not that the money's already gone? I think more often than not, it's fair to say, it's hard to recover money that's been stolen Hmm. from older people. Well, then it sounds like the best defense is a good offense then, prevention. Yes. How do we stop ourselves from getting to these situations? Well, I think there are a number of avenues that you know, that a person and we as a society should consider. So I'll start with personal, on a personal level, for the individual, for the older person, really important to plan ahead, you know, make a will, make an enduring power of attorney, financial, and choose the person or people who are going to act in a way that's going to respect your rights, promote them and protect them when you no longer have capacity to do that. So that's really important. At the same time, an enduring power of attorney is an important document, but it can be a tool of abuse if it's given, if those powers are given to a person who might misuse them. So we need to be mindful of that. So an older person might think, well, I've got three sons, I'm going to appoint two of them, and, and, and they both have to have oversight of what the other one's doing. That has some practical limitations in terms of when dealing with banks, et cetera, but it's an added protection. I mean, obviously, state trustees can act as someone's financial attorney too, and and we do that for many Victorians who don't have anyone available to do an act in that role for them. I think from another prevention perspective, if we're talking about the aged care industry, be it home care or residential care, it's just about building awareness and, and making sure that we're able to spot the signs of elder abuse and financial elder abuse. And I talked about some of those 
things earlier. So if the person's got unpaid bills or they might complain about not having enough money to pay for medicine or, or go out and have a coffee, you know, I think sensitively and respecting that person's agency, yeah, it, it wouldn't be inappropriate to say, hey, do you mind if I ask you a question about that? And, and ask them, hey, you know, do you, are you being pressured for money or is there someone you're loaning money to? That's very, it's a very personal conversation and it needs to be approached very sensitively and some old people won't want to talk about it mm. and that needs to be respected. Obviously, the aged care, aged care fees aren't being paid. It's not always a sign of financial abuse. Someone might, the son or daughter might be in the process of selling the property uh, you know, to pay for the, the accommodation deposit. But look out for the signs. So we need to train people to be aware of, of the prevalence of elder abuse and be willing to support the older person and ask them questions. Uh, on a more general sort of primary prevention level, you know, we talked about ageism. I think we need to do a lot more in society to promote and sort of chip away at some of those, those views we have about older people, you know, needing to be protected and mm. and sort of uh, wrapped up in cotton wool. And, you know, we're going to look after them, but I'll look after their money. Now, so <laughs> ageism is a big driver. It's, it's a very big driver. So I think that's a really important preventative measure. You know, I think one of the things I didn't mention for the individual, it's really important, you know, we know that People who are so socially isolated are, are more at risk of abuse, hmm. including financial abuse. So really, you know, loneliness is a major contributor to, you know, a decline in someone's well-being. So being socially connected is a really important preventative approach for older people. And, and I suppose the other thing is know your rights. Know that it, it's not acceptable to be coerced or influenced um, or bullied into giving away or lending money, you know. And when I say lending money, it's perfectly fine for um, older people to lend money to their family. And that happens all the time. But it has to be on, you know, it has to be their decision. It, it, yeah. It's not like, well, if, if you don't lend me money, I'm, 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 you're not going to see the grandkids. That happens. Hmm. So it's know your rights connect to the community and, and avoid social isolation and, you know, get those legal documents in place. It might be you have a relationship with a local lawyer you go and talk to them and get independent advice. Yeah, I think they're some of the key preventative measures. Mm. Are there programs or resources that can help people acclimatise to the idea of power of attorney or having a trustee involved or, or is it sort of a, you know, when, you, when it's time, it's time? No, that's a very good question. Planning is really important. There's lots of resources. If, if you've got an existing relationship with a, a lawyer um, locally, you can speak to them about estate planning and planning ahead. If you don't, obviously in any state or territory in Australia, you can speak to the public trustee. You know, there's some really good resources online uh, on a website, a website called Compass, and it's a resource set up by the Elder Abuse Action Australia. It's great for an older person. It's great for anyone who works in the industry. It has a bunch of resources that talks you through what you should consider when putting in place, when planning ahead. And, and planning ahead will help with the prevention 
or reduction in the risk that you might be abused. Mm, absolutely. Hey, look, this has been really great, really interesting topic, a deep topic as well. And I know at times not the most cheerful, but mm -hmm. it sounds like there's some optimistic solutions there if people are witnessing it or experience it themselves as ways to, to remedy the action either through state trustees or you pointed out some resources, VCAT, Compass, of course, the police as well. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Ash. I've really enjoyed it. Well, we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Don't forget that each Friday, we've got a fresh episode of our new show, Who Cares?, in which Daniela and Maury take another look at the ideas we've been discussing in today's episode and how they might affect all of us working in the aged care industry. It's fun, thought-provoking, and just a little bit silly. And the good news is it's all right here in the podcast feed, so you don't have to click anywhere else. But if you want to make sure you don't miss out, hit the subscribe button and you'll find out exactly when that episode is available. Anyway, we'll see you next week.